Hey everyone, what's up? It's Mike Wong and welcome to 2019. It's going to be a fantastic year as a Star Trek fan with so much new Star Trek coming out. We've got season two of Discovery literally days away and a brand new Picard series in the works that should debut sometime later this year. There are also two animated series coming up Lower Decks, which has already been announced and sort of fleshed out, and some more family-friendly, kid-friendly series that is in development, as well as more short tracks, and who knows what else they'll come up with. It's also going to be a great year for science. It's very hard to predict what kind of science will be discovered in any given year, but I know that there is a lot of fantastic work being done out there that I just can't wait to bring to you when it's revealed and published. Now, I hope you all had a wonderful holiday season. I know I did. I was lucky enough to be able to go to Southeast Asia with my family and visit, among other places, Angkor Wat and the surrounding temples in Cambodia. So I just wanted to say a few tidbits about some things that I learned while I was out there. There's some really cool science that's actually been helping with the preservation and restoration projects of those very ancient temples. Now, for those of you who don't know, Angkor Wat was built in the 12th century. It's the largest religious structure that any humans have ever made that we've discovered so far to date. And it is primarily, was primarily a Hindu temple, but then was repurposed for Buddhism when Buddhism spread into the region several centuries later. So what was that cool science that I learned? Well, there's uh, two little tidbits. The first is from microbiology. It turns out that scientists have gone around the Angkor Temple and took samples of the different types of microbes and uh, fungi that inhabit the Angkor Temples. And scientists have identified a very dehydration-resistant microbe that creates biofilms that have organic acids which degrade the sandstone that the temple is built from. So this is very important. It's one of the main drivers that is responsible for the slow but persistent degradation of the sandstone temples in the Angkor region. So understanding the microbial communities that are living in the Angkor temple system and what they do and how they work is very important for future restoration projects. You can learn more about microbial biofilms here on Strange New Worlds if you revisit episode 46, which is titled How to Find a Snowball in a Desert. Cecilia Sanders on that episode talks about looking for ancient biofilms on her away mission to Namibia. And also in episode 12, which was titled Droning On, Nathan Stein talks about mapping live biofilms in the Caribbean using drone technology. Now, the second piece of scientific information that I got from Cambodia was actually done by NASA. So it turns out that NASA remote sensing, uh, remote sensing just meaning understanding something from very far away, whether it's by a simple photograph or by 
more technical instruments like things that take spectral readings or gravimetric readings of something else. Um, so anyway, so NASA remote sensing revealed an ancient hydraulic network that played a very important role in the urban development of the Angkor region dating back all the way to the 9th century. So this basically means that the satellites that NASA flies over Earth are able to measure things like topography and gravity that show how things are that you can't quite see on the ground with your naked eye. And using this technology, people were able to find this ancient hydraulic network in the Angkor region, and this research made it possible for modern-day humans to control the flooding at these Angkor temples and also improve local irrigation systems to promote agricultural activities. So this really speaks to the idea that NASA is not only about looking at outer space, which we normally associate NASA with and is a huge part, of course, of what NASA does is to explore everything beyond Earth, but NASA is also extremely central to studying our own planets past and present. And there's so many amazing side effects for uh you know, technology that goes into space. Some of the satellites that go into space also look down upon Earth and help us with things like temple restoration of all things, you know. Uh, that's not something that you would think of when you think of NASA, but our reaching out into space and tackling hard technological challenges to get there really benefits life here on Earth in so many unsuspecting ways. So keep supporting space exploration because you never know how that will help later on in life. All right, one last tidbit about my winter vacation before we jump on to the main subject of today's podcast, which is talking about the short treks. Um, I just wanted to mention and give a shout out to my friend and podcasting colleague, Brandon Shea Mutala, um, because I listened to a bunch of his Melodic Treks podcast episodes on the plane ride to and from Southeast Asia. And Brandon's done some really great interviews with Star Trek composers for the Melodic Treks podcast, the dedicated music of Star Trek podcast on Trek FM. So recently he's interviewed Dennis McCarthy, who has scored more episodes of Star Trek than anyone else. He also interviewed Nicholas Meyer. Nicholas Meyer is not a composer himself, although he's very well versed in music. He is a writer and director for numerous Star Treks, and Nicholas Meyer speaks about the late James Horner to Brandon. And then Brandon also interviewed Cliff Eidelman, who famously wrote the score for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Those interviews are absolutely brilliant and blew my mind away, so I'll put links to them in the show notes. You should definitely check out Brandon's work and the rest of the stuff on on Trek FM. Okay, let's talk about short tracks because we just finished seeing the four out of four short tracks that helped us bridge the gap between season one and season two of Star Trek Discovery. And I thought that I'd just do a little recap of my thoughts on each of these episodes and the short tracks series in general before we get exposed to Star Trek Discovery Season 2. So let's remind ourselves about the short treks. The first was Runaway. Runaway featured Tilly and a new character, Poe. And we did an extensive recap of Runaway in episode 53 of Strange New Worlds, 
This featured commentary from Dr. Peter Gao and Dr. James T. Keene. So I'm not going to belabor this episode too much because you can go back and listen to all of our insights and gut reactions to Runaway there. But I do just want to reiterate that Tilly is my absolute favorite character on Discovery so far. I personally love seeing people who get excited about science. And Tilly just does that so brilliantly well. And her social awkwardness isn't off-putting at all. In fact, it's kind of endearing and makes me feel a little bit more comfortable with my own insecurities, which is just wonderful. Tilly has got such a big heart as well. Um, She shows immense amounts of kindness. For instance, during season one, she was the first one to really try to welcome back Tyler after he had gone through his huge ordeal. And we see some of this kindness in Runaway as well, being able to to really relate to somebody and try to understand them and where they're coming from and help them, even though this is a person you've never met before, is an intruder to your ship, right? Call security. No, Tilly takes her under her wing and guides her on a path to achieving everything that she should be. What did you build? I built an incubator to recrystallize dilithium. Wow, that's... Holy shit. I had a hairline fracture in my orbital socket. My mom made me stay inside. After that, because of that, everything went crazy. Yeah, maybe because you made Zahia the most politically relevant planet in the galaxy. You had dilithium incubator. Are you freaking kidding me? I built it because my planet is my twin, my twin sister. I spent so much time in the caves, and I just wanted something to be just for her. But then I said that, and no one... listened to you. Yeah, when the people who are supposed to care about you don't listen to you, it's it's frightening and it's lonely and it makes you feel like you're crazy or like you're like not even there. I get that. I really think that Tilly is going to have a great long story arc on Discovery. I think that in season two, she may grow in confidence due to her experience of inhabiting the personality of her mirror counterpart, Captain Killy. And I think, you know, it'd be cool if Discovery kind of did this weird thing where they had a different captain every single season. Um, And maybe in the final season, who knows, we'll get Captain Sylvia Tilly of the USS discovery okay let's move on to the second short treks episode which was titled calypso this episode we also discussed previously on this podcast elise cuts and i talked about it i just want to add that calypso to me is a story about learning about compassion as much as i love the character of craft and the journey that he's on i think that the story is mainly about zora the computer the sentient computer who is such a doting host for the lost and war-weary craft. She provides him with everything that he needs, food, clothing, a chess partner, even the sounds of his long-lost home. It's a waffle. You pour syrup on it. Bishop to G5. Check and made. 
Taco Tuesday. Now, before you ask, a taco is a bundle of savory protein folded into a carbohydrate sieve. Originally from us, Mexico region. I see. What's a Tuesday? <laughs> and these are the kinds of things that gains her craft's trust and affection. But true kindness, true compassion, is about doing something for someone else, even when it doesn't benefit you. And I think that Zora learns this and achieves this when she grants Kraft his final wish, which is a means to leave her and continue his solitary journey in search of his long-lost love. And so I think that this story is about really understanding that that is what compassion is about. It's about taking a sacrifice to do something to make somebody that you really love and care about happy. And so what a fantastic piece of science fiction to wrap up that kind of underlying message in this amazing pseudo-mythological science fiction tale about a sentient computer and a war-weary hero. Now, Elise and I also talked about the third episode of Short Treks titled The Brightest Star. Now, this was before The Brightest Star actually aired, so we were voicing our predictions and our hopes for the episode. And it was really interesting that she predicted the theme of religion just from the clothing that she saw in the teaser, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Okay, so The Brightest Star, the third of the Short Treks, is about Saru's backstory and how he came to leave his homeworld's Kaminar and join Starfleet. I thought that The Brightest Star was very clearly a commentary on religion. Now, religion has been an important part of human culture for ages. It's provided societal benefits of all kinds, creating a sense of community for people and giving life meaning. I'm not here to debate that or to even comment on that. Maybe some of you have experienced the wonders of religion and spirituality in your own lives. But I do think that the brightest star is trying to tell us that, you know what, religion can sometimes be dangerous too. And that a central part of religion is the text and doctrine and dogma that shall not be questioned. And when this blind belief gets in the way of natural curiosity, it can lead to the stymieing of scientific progress and even to some very destructive habits. We see this clearly in the Kelpians' culture, where they blindly accept their fate at the hands of the much more advanced Ba'ul. Father, what is out there? Beyond the skies. The watchful eye rules the skies, you notice. But what if we had the means to reach the skies? What if there are others besides the Ba'ul? If the great balance had meant for us to fly, we would have been given wings. But does the watchful eye have wings? We sacrifice our own kind to the Ba'ul instead of asking if we could be like them. The balance must not be upset. Those who offer their lives do so so that the Ba'ul can be sustained, so that the rest of us may live in peace and comfort. 
The time will come for each of us. That is the balance. That is how it has always been. And you will question it no more. Yes, Father. We all of us have our place in this world, Saru. One day you will understand. Yes, I do. But young Saru has an unquenchable curiosity. What lies beyond the skies, he asks. And Saru steals Baul technology and messes around with it, shows his technical acumen by interrogating a piece of technology that his world has no analog for. And he uses it to send messages into the great unknown, and eventually his calls are returned by none other than a young Lieutenant Philippa Georgiou, which was a welcome surprise. Now, what we really didn't get from this episode is a really good explanation for Saru's biology, which I was kind of hoping for. So we know that Saru said that Kelpians are, quote, biologically determined to sense the coming of death, end quote, and that they are perpetually in a state of fear. And my question, ever since the beginning of Star Trek Discovery, is why? And unfortunately, I don't think we get the answers to that question here. Apparently, Kelpians aren't so much a prey species as they are farmed or livestock to the Ba'ul. And I didn't really see any evidence of any ability for them to predict death. In fact, Saru felt pretty uncertain of when it would be his time to go. I also didn't see much evidence of fear. The Kelpians tended to accept their fate as part of their religious dogma, that it was their destiny, their life's purpose, to be given to the Ba'ul upon calling. So, I don't know, maybe it's that Saru is the only Kelpian who senses fear this acutely, and then channeled that fear into something productive? I don't quite understand how this whole situation where the Kelpians are this highly religious livestock species can breed an innate sense of fear or the ability to sense death. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Something that I wonder for season two is if Saru kept any part of his religious past once he joined Starfleet. I think that Star Trek actually has a really decent track record dealing with the relationship between spirituality, science, and service in space. The prime example to me, of course, is Major Kira from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Major Kira is a very devout Bajoran who believes in their gods, the Prophets. The Prophets, of course, we also know, are hyperdimensional aliens that live in the Bajoran wormhole. But Kira's religious beliefs are absolutely respected by her crew, even though her crew don't share them. And I absolutely love that. I'm personally not super religious, but I do believe that there is a way to harmoniously blend science and spirituality. And I don't think that we as a society have quite found that answer yet, but that's what Star Trek is for, right? I mean, it's there to show us our best possible selves and give us something that we can strive for. 
Okay, finally, we had The Escape Artist, which was the short trek episode featuring Harry Mudd. This, I have very little to say about from a science, culture, and Star Trek perspective, except that it was a fantastic bit of comedy, I definitely laughed out loud, and I took it to the American Astronomical Society meeting in early January, where a bunch of us hijacked the plenary ballroom one night and played this episode on the big screen, which was very fun. I love Rain Wilson playing Harry Mudd, and I loved the touchstone to Harry Mudd's androids, which we first saw in the original series. Okay, with that, I think I'll close with just a few general remarks on short treks. As with anything new, of course, I went in with a little bit of trepidation. Of course, I was very excited that there would be more new Star Trek beyond just the regular 45-minute episodes of the seasons of Star Trek Discovery. I just didn't quite know how these episodes would play out. How could you possibly squeeze all of the drama and intricacy and philosophizing of a Star Trek episode into 15 minutes? But they did a fantastic job, as always. Um, these were amazing stories. Some of my favorite moments from Star Trek Discovery actually were in these short tracks. I just loved the way that they were so condensed. They really focused on a central point, and yet they also had so much extra to them. They made me laugh. They made me wonder. They made me question. They made me really enjoy myself and feel immersed even more in this Star Trek universe, which is continuing to get broader and broader with each passing episode. If I had to rank my favorite short tracks... Maybe this just speaks to the hopeless romantic in me, but I just adored Calypso. Uh, number two would definitely have to be Runaway. Um, I thought that was a very quaint and cute story and really showed me a little bit more of, of Tilly's brilliance and kindness. Um, number three would be Rain Wilson and uh, his performance in The Escape Artist. Um, yes, yeah, so Harry Mudd, very entertaining. And then the last one, but I'm not saying that it was bad by any means, but my least favorite was The Brightest Star. Probably this has to do with a mismatch between expectations and reality. Um, I didn't really think that this was going to be the way that Saru's story actually played out. I didn't think that the Kelpians would be livestock, rather than prey, uh, and I was hoping for a few more answers in terms of the technical, biological details of what makes the Kelpians who they are. But I'm glad that there are still mysteries out there to uncover in the following seasons of Star Trek Discovery, and I look forward to exploring all aspects of them with you. So with that, I'm going to sign off and say happy viewing of episode one of Star Trek Discovery, and you'll hear me again very, very soon. Live long and prosper, everyone, and go enjoy a jipper on a beach somewhere. If I had any money, I'd be shipping chippers on a beach. 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 Chippers on a be